Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most informational, educational, and entertaining podcast for auto detailers. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. My name is Marshall Hill, and I'm your guide as we journey through the car care industry. You can find me on most platforms at Total Auto Solutions. If you're on TikTok, find me at Detail Supply App. Best way to get in touch, though, shoot me a text direct, 918-800-1188. Nick can be found at HyperCleanNick on Instagram, where you'll start to see a lot more on uh, this fun stuff as we'll talk about things that Nick's going to be doing at HyperCleanNick. So make sure you go follow him there. Best way to get in touch, though, which he gets tons of emails, send him an email, nick at vegasrides.com. Nick, how was the weekend? Uh, did you get to uh, enjoy the nice uh, atmosphere going on out there? Is there still smoke blowing through from fires or did you get to uh, uh, we're, enjoy We're pretty everything? good. We're pretty good. Um, you know, we got a little bit higher humidity for us out here. So it's, you know, that's a, uh, it's nothing like the Midwest, but you know, if you even get up to near 20% out here with the amount of heat and the way things normally are out here, it can get uncomfortable, but it's been a pretty good summer, you know, and, and so, yeah, we had a good time this weekend and, you know, kind of hung out and chilled and, you know, with all the new variants and whatever, we're still just trying to stay in the house and have a good time and, you know, that kind of thing. Speaking of that, Alex Russell, who, you know, it, it will hop into the community pub and then we help support him through his podcast. Um, the, he put out a meme this past weekend that showed, uh, was it, and I forget these two skaters, but do you remember the, I forget their names, but there, was it in like the nineties, they competed so heavily against each other. And then one, the blonde girl had that one girl beat, uh, as she was coming out of the Tanya Harding. Yeah. Yeah. Tanya Harding. Mm. And it, it was a picture of them. And it's, it's the one, it's the one that, that had the girl beat, uh, looking at her, she's skating by. And then it showed, I get Tanya Harding is the one that got beat. She's sitting <laughs> no, there on the Tanya Harding is the one that, that beat up Nancy Kerrigan. Okay, there you go. So uh, under Tanya, it says, uh, 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 you know, the new Delta variant. And then uh, under the other lady, it goes, all my plans for the fall. <laughs> exactly. Dude, it's real. I mean, look, it's, you know, uh, this is kind of a weird thing to talk about because it's so polarizing. You know, you don't want to, I don't, I don't get into that stuff, but people always take it. But look, man, it's, you don't know what to believe. I mean, I told you this story, you know, this is kind of the story that, that I've shared on the podcast before, you know, we had a baby in September and I'm reading online that everyone, uh, hospitals are filled with dead bodies and it's packed and all this other stuff. We went to the hospital and it's one of the primary, it's the best place to, to, to have a baby in town. So you think it would be busy just, just because of that. And there was nobody at the hospital, like nobody. We went and we had to go through one entrance. They had blocked off the other entrances to, to funnel everybody through the ER. Marty, we never saw anybody. And I left that hospital maybe two or three times, four times in the, in three days. So I, I kind of look at it and I go, I just don't know what to believe, you know, and I'm not one of those people that are like, you know, I know, <laughs> you know, those people that spend all day online and, and think they know every political or, or, you know, massive thing going on in the world. I'm not that guy. So I don't know, man. We're just trying to be as safe as we can, I guess, and still have a life. So it's it's a weird time. Well, it is a weird time as some of the I think some people in some of the states and some of the areas that had some heavy mandates last year 
seem to be coming out with some even stronger mandates now, you know, seeing some stuff coming out of New York, it's, it, it is polarizing. It's like, holy shit, like, wow. But at the same yeah. time, like, I, I've sent, as you and I have talked, you know, coming out of Corona, I, I don't want to go through that again, but what, what do I trust? You know, what do I take a shot? Which shot do I take? You know, do I have to, you know, is there other ways? It's so hard. Like you said, so hard to understand what information is out there. And it's hard because you don't know what trap is being set. You don't know what you're getting trapped into. Well, we didn't know how bad the first one was. Now there's this second one that it's stronger. We don't know. I mean, did I get Delta? Did I get the first? I don't know. You know, how do you yeah, now, know? Now they're saying there's Lambda and, and that is completely impervious to, to every shot in the world. And I, I mean, who the hell knows? And, and that's the weird thing. You know, we kind of talked about MTE last week and, you know, I say this, you know, with great respect, if, if you didn't go to MTE Orlando at the beginning of the year because of concerns, and now you're not going to MTE Vegas for whatever reason, but you're going to attend SEMA, where's the, where's the consistency? I don't think it's any safer today than February. I mean, who the hell? I mean, we're back under mask mandate here. So you go in a place. Now, the funny thing is to watch they're really not on it real tough out here. Like the mandates come down, but I think businesses have had enough. They're like, I'm not going to have these arguments. Restaurants different because they have the health, you know, they have the health department in their, in their face all the time. But like you go into a gas station or you go into, you know, certain types of bars that are maybe off the beaten path or whatever. And they're like, I'm not going to argue anymore. Like I've been arguing for a year and I know an owner out here. He's like, dude, I almost had so many fights in my restaurant. I'm not, if this closes me down, then this closes me. I mean, it, it was just a tough year for some of those people. So I think it's interesting. Like I said, man, and it, it's got far reaching implications, you know, in a lot of different ways, our business, the auto business, everything. I, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't, I don't know what's right or wrong and I don't pretend to. I don't either, but I know what is right is it's OBR 30. Uh, <laughs> And since uh, a little bit earlier than normal, I went with something fruity, you know, for breakfast, a little breakfast beer. There you go. So thank you, uh, Skygazer, for uh, sending over their version of a fruity beer. Uh, they've sent over quite a few, so uh, I keep trying them out, and we'll keep drinking them. So Yeah, awesome. Yep. Um, interesting for us this weekend, I started hearing, well, I guess it was late last week, I started hearing something going on with the Jeep. Uh questioning i was just pulling into the neighborhood and started to hear like this little weird grinding noise like what the hell is that right I, okay i guess i need to go into the dealership because that's just i just figure that's what you do right like um it it's hard to know if i'm gonna supposed to go into you know some type of you know shop or do i go into the dealership i i know i needed some recall stuff done so it's like you know what I, I need to just go into the dealership, let them take care of the recall. Hey, while you're there, you know, can we look at this, this, and this, right? But it's so odd. First off, right, going into the dealership is completely different than it was two years ago. It's massively different than it was last year. Uh, driving by, because, you know, to take it to the Jeep dealership, there's all these other dealerships around here, right? So Honda store, maybe 10 cars, maybe 10 cars in their new car department. Their used car department's flooded, right? Drive by the Lexus dealership, which is massive. Should be hundreds and hundreds of new Lexus. I, I bet you I could go through and count 50 max. Like, when does this end? Where does, what are you hearing? What, you know, any, 
any news? I know we've talked in the past about where you heard about, uh, you know, all the chips and people said that it was Corona did the chips, but it really wasn't, no. you know, like. And, and here's the funny thing. No, no motor journalist has come out and told a lot of the truth on the chip stuff and, and still doesn't want to, it seems everybody wants to dodge the fact that the auto business kind of did this to themselves. They stopped their allocation of chips because the pandemic freaked everyone out, bad management. Instead of letting it play out, they canceled their order of chips and, and they can't get back in line. So that was our, our inside knowledge on the chip world back then. I'm hearing scary things out of Mercedes and I don't, you know, again, this isn't confirmed, but there, there's a pretty scary thing coming out of Mercedes is that they're not going to deliver any V8s to America. Most of the American dealerships, they may get a few in here and there, but that's basically their whole AMG line. Um, now, I don't want to say every single one of their AMG cars because some of them don't all, not all of them, I don't think have V8s anymore, but I think other than the S550 or, or one of those big vehicles, the big sedans, they're going to deliver those, but the G-Wagon AMG, I don't think is coming, which is a huge seller for dealerships because, you know, a Mercedes dealership on a G-Wagon may make anywhere between twenty dollars and $50,000 in profit on that car. That's a big thing, you know, that can propel you in that luxury market for these big dealerships. So, and again, I don't know all the details on that. It started leaking into me late last week. Hey, this may be coming uh, because I have somebody that always gets a new Mercedes AMG in my company. And she said, Hey, I, I may keep my car an extra 18 months because I'm not hearing that I'm going to be able to get what I want. And started asking around to some of my dealership contacts. They said, yeah, the word is that we could be having real big issues. And now that that begs the question of products, cars, doesn't matter. Okay. This is going to affect everything. And, and everybody's sitting waiting for it to get to normal. That, that, that ain't happening, man. And especially with new lockdowns and different countries having different plans and, you know, requiring different working environments this is not a one-year problem. It doesn't feel like, and what I'm hearing is, is that they're hoping, many of these companies are hoping they can return to normal in 2023. And that's not even guaranteed. So it's an interesting time. You know, that, that, that happened, that popped for me late last week. And interesting time. And, and you're right. I mean, we keep saying, I know last year, but it kept going, can't wait for that flip to switch. Right. Like can't wait to go back. Can't wait to go back. I, like we've said over the past couple of episodes, episodes with it, we don't think there is a go back. Like it's, it's now trying to figure out how do we live in this style? And when we're older, right. When we're 80, 85, and we look back, we're going to be a part of this thing and we can remember that journey through. And yeah. we always thought, right. We always thought it's next or next month or next year, but this could literally be, like you said, a 2023, a 2025, a 2028 before yeah everything gets back to the way it used to be quote unquote, but I don't think it will be. So will it go to, at that point, we'll go, all right, this is the new norm. Not that we go back to the way it was, but we go, okay, things have settled and this is the new norm moving forward. It's probably, a, you know, more of a, yeah, because, because car dealerships are experiencing record profit. Yeah, they're, doing right? they're, they're doing less work for more money. And so if you think dealer principals or dealer owners, uh, you know, whichever they call themselves at different dealerships are just going to forget this 
and go back to the old way where they had massive risk with a bunch of cars and very low profit. I, I got to tell you, if, you, if you've never met dealership owners there, once they get the money, you know, it's going to be hard to turn backwards and say, I'm going to take on 500 cars and make a thousand per car, or I can take on 50 cars and make, you know, let's say three to 15,000 per car that they're, you know, I mean, they're making 10 to 15,000 on some of these used cars. Are they going to go backwards? Well, I, I think that's going to be hard to ask those people to go backwards. I, they haven't had profit like this. Some of them in their whole ownership career. Explain what you meant for a second, because I, I think it'd be interesting. I don't think most people realize, um, you know, new cars. So used cars, they purchase, right? It becomes theirs. They use their, yeah. you know, their banking. They use their cash. How do they do it? It's called, it's called flooring. Yeah, they, they buy, buy it the used car outright. But the new cars, they're usually, there's a floor plan, some way to pay back. And, and they have this yep. deal with the uh, manufacturers. And the manufacturers allot them so much. And, you know, the new car purchase and the way they do stuff inside the dealership is different than the used car. There yeah. is so much more profit built into them for the used vehicle than there is the new vehicle. Yeah. And that all depends on what segment you're like a Toyota Corolla just doesn't have that much profit. Okay. You have to really get into the hundred, dollars $200,000 car where, you know, for those dealerships to stay open, the manufacturer knows I better build in a lot of profit for the dealership or they can't stay open. They don't sell enough volume. You know, you don't sell 25 McLarens a day, you know, so there's got to be some profit in there to keep the dealership up and going. But Toyota knows they may sell 25 Corollas a day at a big dealership. And if they make a thousand a piece, which let me tell you that there's a lot of times that's what they're making 500 to 2,500 at the max. So that's where all this aftermarket paper came from. You know, all of these crappy services that people get through the dealership came from the necessity of, I got to find a way to make more profit on the car because I can't sustain making $1,000 on a $35,000 vehicle. That's not a sustained business model. So kind of one of the first traps in a sense comes from the manufacturer to the, you know, yes. to the local dealership owner, trapping them into set figures, set things to where then that dealer has to almost in a sense, sometimes trap their customer Yep. into buying some paperwork or buying some things that they might not deem exactly necessary, you know, or trap them in a couple different ways so that, you know, everybody gets. And what a lot of people don't realize is, is that the real money's made on incentives. If Toyota wants X number of Sequoias moved this month, they may go to their dealership network and say, if you move 50 Sequoias this month, we're going to give you $75,000 bonus to the dealership. So it's this big rat race game that's why I've never been one to hate on dealerships because the reality is if the manufacturer is unreasonable, the dealership can't operate properly because if it was just a normal retail uh, business where they made 15 to 30% profit, I don't think you'd have a lot of the bad stuff at dealerships. Dealerships are just trying to scrape and get more profit per car. So it really starts at the manufacturer. For those that don't know, manufacturers are pretty damn unreasonable. They're just going to dictate their terms. Hey, we're going to sell you these cars at 32,000 and you got to sell them at 34,000. And that's the way it is. There's a lot of times that dealerships don't have a say if they want to keep that name on the building. And so 
it all starts from the manufacturer. And now the big, the, the thing that the detailers are probably asking themselves are, you know, what is the relevance of this? Well, the relevance is if they can move less cars and make more money, the volume of new car preps that may come into our business may be down forever, or at least for the foreseeable future, two, three, four years. And now, so now if you've built this great business on new car preparations and new coatings and those kind of things, look, man, this isn't easing up anytime soon. And it's nothing to get scared about. It's just a new normal. And how long is it the normal? I got no idea. I mean, at, at this point in time, really smart people are saying, let's hope we can get back to normal in 2023. But I don't even think people believe that. Yeah. Uh, new normal, which might be interesting is most of the, I would say, if we want to talk about some big traps that have happened in the industry is trapping in a customer to things that they think that they're going to need five to seven years later, but they haven't really kept their vehicle two years right? Average was under two years, I think. I'm sure that will go up, but let's say that goes up to three years, you know, on an average. Most people still aren't purchased, you know, won't have a need to purchase something at a five to seven year rate, something five to seven years later. Some of that trap has been laid and it's come from some of it inside the dealership world, right? If you're sitting, you're talking about paperwork, you're sitting at a dealership going through the finance department, getting stuff like extended warranty, um, gap insurance in case, uh, you know, you, you get in a wreck and it's a new car and, you know, it covers what your insurance doesn't do. There's all kinds of things that seem practical, right? A practical thing might be that your vehicle will stay protected on the outside from any environmental contamination. And that can be purchased at a five or seven year mark and in the past, they've used paint sealants. We all know that paint sealants, and I think you've tested quite a few over your years, we know that they can give some protection and they do a good job for a couple months to you know six months. You might've seen some last longer, but on average, a sealant itself just by nature isn't gonna last more than six months, but they've been selling these papers that's telling people that it will last five to seven years. And I myself, have been involved with that. You know, I, I repped a brand for years that did that and we would sell the paper, right? It was the big thing, you know, as then coatings have come through the industry and, you know, coatings aren't going anywhere, right? They've, they've yeah. made their mark years ago and they're not, they're not going anywhere, especially in the professional dealerships are now moving into coatings, but, Many of them are spraying a wash system on. Many of them are, you know, we got this mist that goes on. They're still not going full-fledged into it. A trap that is interesting is somebody that's going to buy a vehicle. You know, do they get something from the dealership or do they go down to their local detail shop or hopefully they've been using somebody to maintain their vehicle that's, you know, in a mobile setting? You know, where do they go? What would be the best uh, route in your opinion? Well, I always tell people, uh, understand what each part of the auto business does, and you're going to have a better auto experience. You know, I've always told people the body shop puts cars back together. That's all they do because that's all the insurance is going to pay them to do. They're not there to make sure your paint matches. They're not, you can think they are, and you can hope that they are, and you can hope they get close, but we've all seen body shops and, and body shops are, are that way. Dealerships are a distribution network. So it's pretty incredible that you can drive down right now and buy a vehicle, a $50,000, $100,000 piece of machine 
And by the end of the day, you're driving this $100,000 piece of machine around. I think that's terrific. But the dealership, that's all that they're really good at. They're really good at getting you a car from a manufacturer. They're not good at taking care of the car. They're not good at protecting the car. In a lot of cases, they're not good at servicing the car and they're at a reasonable price. They're just not. Let me tell you about my service experience. No, never mind. Yeah. So they're just not good at that. And so any customer that ever asked me, I just always tell them the same thing. Buy the car, have the dealership leave all the stickers and all the protection on it, you know, from, from the manufacturer, the, the peelable stuff that they put on for the trucks and that kind of thing and deliver it to your local detail shop or to, to your own house where your mobile guy can take care of it. And I think that's the best way to operate. Don't ask people in this case, a dealership to do things that they're not qualified or invested in doing well. Dealerships are, are, are invested in selling you a car. Let them sell you a car. Don't let them do anything else. Don't buy extended warranties. Don't buy these wheel protections. Don't buy, don't buy this, you know, key protections and all this other stuff that we see in the finance office. Look, I purchased a car last year and, you know, because our family situation changed, I walked in and let them know. I, I had a little bit of a relationship with this dealership and I just said, Hey, look, just sell me the car. Okay. I'm not going to haggle deep on price. I don't do that. Most businesses now in the dealership world are operating the fixed cost price like CarMax anyway. So, you know, don't go in there trying to beat them up. I think that's foolish, truthfully. Uh, because guess what? They want to make it on the finance. If I don't go in the F&I office and buy all these extras, I'm getting a pretty deal, pretty good deal on a car these days. So, you know, obviously we're in a different pandemic world. I understand everybody's paying over sticker and all this other stuff, but let's talk about normal situation because we're going to get back to normal someday and normal, you should go into the dealership, purchase the car, leave, and then have professionals at whatever it is you want done. If you want your audio system upgraded, I'm not going to have the dealership do that. It's the same with detailing or protecting a car. I wouldn't have the dealership do that. All right. So we go to a local detail shop. We go in and they immediately try and sell us. Let's say it's a company that has been tricked to offer only five to seven year, nine year lifetime coatings. Somebody had just gone through a dealership world and sat down and had somebody pitch them a, a five to seven year sealant. And then they go in and they go, okay, wait, you're doing a five to seven year coating. Okay. I see you got some sticker or you got something like, okay, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between getting it at a dealership and getting the paper and getting at a detail shop and getting it put on a Carfax and you, you get something that you think is going to be from a warranty, but it's from just some other company. Like yeah. where's the traps, right? Cause those traps seem almost identical and the coding companies have now entrapped people that trying to run a business that then have to trap in that same customer that was trying to get trapped from the dealership. It seems yeah. like a big gigantic mess of sealant companies, coding companies trying to trap people into things that aren't necessary because whether you get a sealant or whether you get a coding, you, you don't walk away from them for five to seven years. So yeah. I, it, it's a massive trap. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've now seen this lifetime ceramic that detailers are offering. I would tell anybody that owns a car, if anything says lifetime on it, I'd run the other way. I don't know anything 
on your car that's lifetime. I haven't come across it. Uh, even a paint system isn't lifetime. If it gets you know polished too many times, it's just going to come off. Nothing's there for a lifetime unless it's taken care of and protected and all the right things are done. So if I were a customer, and I know that we have a lot of people listen now in the DIY world and that kind of thing, I put a lot of five-year coatings on cars. Like I've told people before, I was a, I was a tester for a lot of different big companies and things like that. And I don't think it's a great product. I don't think anybody's is. I, I think a lot of people try really hard at it. A lot of people tell you to use an IR lamp and that's magically going to cure everything. And it's going to you know, last 115 years. And there's all kinds of different thing. And I would tell people, actually, Marty, one thing we forgot to bring up the last couple of weeks, go check out Chicago Auto Pros and the testing that they're doing on people, reputable, in air quotes, companies, whose ceramic is supposed to last five to seven years or even one year or three years, whose coating is failing within two or three months. Highly reputable. We know a detailer that, that hopped on with a company here recently, and that coating is failing in two months. And it's supposed to be one of the more reputable coatings in the industry. And so one of the things is don't buy things that, that make no sense. What if I if I keep my cars three to four years, why do I need a seven year coating? What does that do for me as a customer? So understand your buying habits. And as a detailer, you should understand their buying habits as well. Because I have customers that very rarely keep their car more than two years because it's on a two year lease cycle through their business. Am I doing the right thing because they have the money to pay for a five year coating? They have a money to pay for a full body PPF but this is a car they don't care that much about. They just want to protect it. They just want to be, uh, you know, do the right thing on some level. I don't think I am. If they keep it two years and I can provide them a two-year coding, shouldn't I provide them a two-year coding? Why should I provide them five to seven years when it's not that effective anyway? It's, it's certainly not effective for, effective for them at all, right? Because they don't keep the car five years. And so I think we're in a position now that we have to start having these, these conversations, which is the end user doesn't know what to do now. They're hearing something from the dealership. They drive down the street, they hear the exact same thing, yet the detailer is going to tell them how bad the dealership is. Well, wait a minute. You're saying nearly the, the same thing. So what is this person supposed to believe? And now we're putting the customer in a position where they think the detailer is now in cahoots with the, with the dealership. And I don't see how that's good at all. If you want to bash dealerships, yes, you sound just like them, man, that's, that's a tough scene. And I think there's a lot of detailers that never look at it from that angle. Yeah. And I, I imagine when I said it a second ago that they are involved with that trap and then you saying that part of it, I imagine there's plenty of, you know, professionals that, have drank the Kool-Aid from these multi-layer brands that not only have they entrapped the customer, the end customer into thinking that they need this five to seven year product that, oh, by the way, the demo that we would do at a dealership with the sealant was we would put a sealant down and we'd put on spray paint and we would light the spray paint on fire. We would use the sealant to remove the spray paint. It's the same shit, but really good demos. I mean, they, it, it is pretty cool to watch that car get on fire. Like it is yeah. cool to wipe spray paint off. Right. But the exact same demo at a dealership 
is what some of these brands then started to put out to sell their coating. So the yeah. detailer themselves, right? Because many of these brands are extremely good at marketing. And then you talk to some of their professional salesmen who their whole job is to be the best salesman that they can be to get a detailer to buy into their system of these five to seven layers upon layers, or like you mentioned, there's some reputable brands that, you know, are involved in the dealership world that private label for the, some other groups that have, have evolved sure. out of into uh, the coding market, that coding itself, not lasting more than a couple of months on that Chicago auto pros video it is interesting as those light bulbs will start to go off for the detailers, the professional guys, and they go, Holy shit. Did they themselves get put into a trap? Did the company that sold them that they had to put on all these layers and that they had to do this five to seven and they could make all these thousands and thousands of dollars at that one price tag. And it was this massive praise over the past couple of years that detailers had this massive price tickets that they could collect now. And did they suddenly just a light bulb go off and go, fuck, I got trapped. Or I know this other guy down the road that got trapped. They got trapped by the, the makers of quote unquote, but the marketers of a brand into yeah. believing that they should offer the exact same thing as the dealership. And then you're right. At the same time, we want to bash the dealership and we want to quote unquote, know our worth. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, we, we've had really, you know, one of the coolest things about this platform is we've got to really learn from the people surrounding this podcast, the, the detailers that reach out, the new, the old, the guys that have been doing it a long time, the guys that are just starting, the women that are just starting, the women that have been doing it a long time. And one of the things that, that goes over a lot of people's heads, even a lot of the vets in this industry is when you start doing business like the dealership, people start to see you as part of the, the problem and you don't seem different. And that is a problem. And I, I'll say this, you and I ha had a customer recently who told us that his whole model had changed. You, you know what I'm talking about. I'm now going to chase $10,000 tickets. This is, a, this is a real conversation. And I think it's important to put this stuff out there. Yet we go to his page and he is posting about doing three month sealants. I said, wow, that's an expensive $10,000 job. But he'll get on the phone with people like us and other vendors of his and swear up and down that he's doing all of these $10,000 tickets. Dude, your Instagram says something different, unless you're charging 10 grand for a three month sealant. But what is he putting out into the world? And, 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 and what is he talking about with us? He's, he's telling us he's doing $10,000 all day. Every car that comes in is $10,000 ticket. I'm chasing a new, and, and we're bringing these new coatings on. Well, one of the brands he brought on uh, uh, was on auto pros failing in two months. You're not going to stay in the high end market that long if your coatings don't work and if you're, if you're taking advantage of customers, it's not going to work. And this is what everybody has to see. Nobody has it perfect. Nobody's business is perfect. My business isn't perfect. Yours isn't hyper clean. Isn't nobody's is, but the weird part is we've spent the better part of my career as an industry bashing the dealership. And now we do so many things that dealerships do. 
And it's a very strange thing to watch. Let me give you an example. I put a coating on your car. I wave goodbye to you and I never want to see you again. Sounds just like a dealership. Yet we do it day in and day out. Johnny doesn't know how to take care of his car. That's why he came to me to get to fix it. Look what he did to his car. I did $1,500 worth of service. I hand Johnny the car. It doesn't, Johnny still doesn't know how to take care of the car. You told me when the car came in, Johnny was an idiot. Now, because you performed $1,500 worth of service, Johnny's no longer an idiot with his car. I feel sorry for Johnny sense. if he went to the $10,000 and still doesn't know how to fucking do it. Well, $10,000 for a paint seal, that's wild. I mean, we yeah. had a lot of fun, you and I, with that comment. You know, I mean, literally, like, minutes after you talked to the guy, oh, you know, I'm doing nothing but 10000 Hey, look at this three-month sealant we did. I was like, damn, that's, a, that's an expensive 10 Gs. I mean, well, but it's just like, it's just, it's no reality to it. Yeah. The, the point, right? I think the point is the customer is now starting to be trapped from the detailer who got trapped from the coding company. And is that really the best way to grow your business overall? Is that not even business, right? Is that the best way to live? Is that the best way to work around other humans to develop what we all know that we need? So, yeah, I mean, I, I say this, my business is only here and is only relevant because I've tried to do my best to never oversell anybody. And I have plenty of wealthy clients. You know, some of the places I work, they, they don't care if I bill them, for $10,000 tickets. They don't care. They wouldn't miss the money. They wouldn't even think about it. I never thought it was the right thing for everybody. Now there's plenty of customers that we do have those type of tickets. They take their car to the track and it needs this kind of protection. And there's always a defense of some of this, right? Like some big tickets have to exist because some people are going to beat the hell out of their car and they want it protected. And it's a valuable car. There's plenty of reasons to do big tickets. The, the, the problem is, is that the coding stuff has confused the client and the client doesn't know what's going on. And this is what I've said from the beginning, whether it's an association of the industry or whatever, somebody has to step up and start talking common sense. So the customer gets, gets rid of the confusion for the customer and makes it easier to interact with our, with our business. And I think that's something that we're going to find is, is really tough. There's a lot of customers that are very confused and they're confused because we're telling them not to trust the dealership. And then they walk down and we, we sound just like the dealership. And so if you're a detailer listening to this, you know, look at your offerings. Do you sound just like a dealership? Are you putting a Marine coating, then a professional coating, then another layer of the professional coating on? And then somebody's saying, why do I need a boat coating on my truck? I mean, this is stuff happening every day. And again, it's not about right and wrong. It's about having these discussions and understanding where the customer is coming from. It's not about, I have the right answer. It's about every time I get a call from a customer and they're confused, they're confused because somebody they talked to made it so damn difficult to understand a simple protection like a coding. A coding is very basic to understand. The fact that there's so much confusion around it speaks to our industry and not the customer, in my opinion. Yeah. And the, the, the trap, I think that the final trap is how does somebody maintain it? Right. I mean, the point of selling a five year thing would be if I'm a business operator, if I'm a detailer, I'm going to want to see that customer weekly bi-weekly for the next five years. If I put my stamp on that car and said it goes out. And what's cool is, you know, people started making stickers to put on things like, cool. If you're going to put your name on there, 
don't you want them back at least at the bare minimum? If I was back in the day and I was going to do a full detail and put on a paint sealant, they were required for me to see their vehicle again on a regular basis. Yeah. And there was no guarantee. There was no nothing except just me as a person knowing, hey, that person paid extra money. So I need to make sure that that sealant stays as long as it can. And that means that I need to see the vehicle more on a regular basis. It's the overall way the industry should be growing by seeing people on a regular basis and keeping their cars clean to your point, like you've said, is always, why would somebody want to go around in a dirty vehicle? We are the answer to stop the trap, stop the trap of this five to seven year bullshit and, well, and even if you do five, even if cost. you do five years, even if you do a five-year coating, the only way to keep the five-year coating alive is to keep it serviced. Doesn't matter if it's a one-year, a two-year, a three-year, a ten-year coating. I don't care what it is. No coating operates in a vacuum. If the car gets driven and it gets hit by water, uh, you know, from a sprinkler, or it gets hit by rain, or it gets gone through the dirt. It may look cleaner a little longer. I mean, that's the benefit of a coating. It has the ability to chemically resist some things, but it's not a bulletproof vest. And this is the part that I don't understand. I'm going to do $2,500 in service and I'm going to push Johnny back out into the pasture and say he was an idiot when he arrived. And now that's all fixed because I did the, because I did the, 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 the work. Well, that's not what happens. And I think we do see some of the upper echelon companies that I get, you know, that reach out to me, they realize they've made a huge mistake because the five-year coatings are, are really starting to, to get a lot of complaints. Maybe they've only been in it five years and now they realize they're in year three, four, and five of these coatings. And it's like, damn, this is tough to keep this coating in great shape. Well, those first three years weren't real easy on the coating, right? Because you didn't service it. And a yearly service is is a flawed reality. And I, I think customers need to hear that. Even if you do something monthly, it's better than doing nothing. And I realize a lot of detailers hear this and they're not a car washer and nobody said that. Maintaining a coating is not a car wash. You got to use the right products. You got to use the right uh, tools. You got to use the right uh, processes. It's not a, It's not a car wash. Uh, to take care of a coating and and customers should hear that as well. It should be an elevated price. You know, you shouldn't expect to pay 10 bucks. You know, you shouldn't expect to pay $20. You have a, a hundred thousand dollar car with a $1,500 service performed on it. It's not going to cost five bucks to maintain. It just isn't that, that isn't the real world, right? Like that's what I hope starts to change. And I do think we're starting to see that because I think, companies doing a lot of this coding and PPF work are like, man, I'm getting so many people coming back. Their PPF is peeling up or their coding is not acting right because these people don't know what they're doing. And so I've told you that the most reputable shops I know that have reached out to me, you know, they've spent the last two, three years of building out their express services. They want to be able to take care of these customers. And that's the only way we're going to be different than a dealership, in my opinion. The only way we're going to be different than a dealership is to stop selling how they sell and to start doing things differently than they do it. They push you out the pasture and they don't care. If you operate a detail business that way, the customer is going to be like, well, what's the difference? What's the difference in a dealership? I should have just rolled it into my loan. Then I wouldn't have had to come out of pocket for you know two grand. So 
I don't think we want that experience. And I think a lot of detailers are doing their best not to provide that anymore, but there's still a lot of our industry, man, that, that just have the mindset of I'm going to act certain way and I'm going to bash dealerships while doing exactly what they do. Yeah. Good point. All right. We'll close out this episode as we are uh, doing health month. Uh, we'll close out this episode. I think an interesting thing that people will find is our two differences in our diet, right? Part of being healthy is all about your diet. Definitely the older you get, the more your diet sinks in. For me personally, this really took effect a couple of years ago. I crossed that 40 year mark and I went, you know what? I, should, I think that's one of those years that you go in and see the doctor. I'm not a regular person that goes into the doctor. I'm rarely ever sick. Uh, I've always been a vitamin guy. I always just tried to maintain and maintain my health the best I could. But I definitely was eating way too many cheeseburgers, going to Chick-fil-A every day almost. Uh, it was part of my depression, which would be interesting. I think that'll be my talk for next week on, uh, you know, mental health. But I, I was just in a bad state. And so my comfort was to eat. My favorite food was fried chicken, right? Favorite food because I like to cook. And the very first thing that I cooked in front of people was at a home ec class, seventh grade. I don't know if you ever took home ec. I don't know if they even offer that anymore, but home ec was you learned how to do home stuff. So it was kind of odd as you're a little kid, a boy, you, we learned how to sew. I made my grandmother a shirt, like, and then we had to cook a meal for everybody in the class. And we had this group. So my job was to fry chicken and I fried chicken. That was the first thing I ever cooked. And I think that's ultimately why it was my comfort food, you know, trying to go through depression. Um, I ate it every day. You know, you mix in a cheeseburger, then you mix in steak and you mix in, you know, whatever else you want to eat, because that's what I told myself, whatever you want to do, man, just fucking eat, just do whatever. Like I just yeah. needed to just let myself go in a sense. Well, I walked into that doctor and he ran that old blood check and that cholesterol number came back well over 400. Um, and they want you in that like 150 mark. So they looked at me and they go, uh, uh, yeah, um, you, you really need to get on some medication and you need to change some shit in your life. Right? Like, yeah. fortunately this was a doctor that was my, a friend of mine. Uh, we had, you know, before I'd uh, tore out my uh, hip flexor, him and I were training for doing uh, half marathons. We, we had both never run before. And so we, we spent a lot of time together and, um, you know, he could look at me direct in the eye and give me good information on what I needed to do. It was either go get on some medication or you got to cut all that diet out, right? You, you got to cut the cheeseburgers that you get. Wait, fried chicken? I got to cut fried chicken out? No, man, come on. Like, not the fried chicken, but mm. it was either a time for me to go away, right? Because if I continued down my track, I wouldn't be here probably today. In, in theory, yeah. a couple of years later, I mean, I... I had a granddad that had a heart attack in his early forties. Um, my dad had high cholesterol, right? Like I had to dramatically change my diet. Now I do back and forth on and off with different types of vegetables, but I eat a lot of the cauliflower pizza or cauliflower chips or cauliflower, this, anything that people can make with cauliflower is a new thing, right? It, in a sense yeah. for them to make up these odd different types of meals. 
Uh, I love cauliflower rice instead of regular rice. And then I cook a lot of fish now. I enjoy fish. I'll still cook chicken, but I'll grill chicken or I'll, you know, put it in some oil and, you know, sear it up on the pan. You know, it's, it's mostly all my diet has moved to fish, vegetables, and chicken, right? That's the way I solved my problem, right? Yeah. So it's very interesting then. Uh, Nick has a complete different aspect when yeah. it comes to his health, uh, and what he eats. And I, that's what I was yeah. going to be very funny because as I talked the other day about what I was making, you're like, yeah, well, I just put the big old pound porterhouse, you know, like, yeah. what is 100%. your diet? Because it's super unique. Yeah. So, um, it's not as disciplined at this moment. Um, but when I feel my best and I think this is what we're going to see, this is kind of something I geek out on in my, my personal time. And, you know, you know, some businesses that I've owned that were in this space and, and so um, I think that the, the world kind of demonized red meat during my, my, my parents' time, you know, is that red meat was really demonized in the 80s and 90s uh, as I was a kid. And, and so I kind of grew up where red meat um, was eaten. You know, we, we were a family that bought like, because my grandfather was a farmer, we bought whole cows at a time, you know, thing like that, you know, stuff like that. And then we had them in a deep freezer. You and I were talking about this. Um, but I grew up hunting too. So I ate a lot of venison and things like that. But the funny thing is, I've always felt the best when I ate the most red meat. So at my best, when I, when I was really at my best, my, my personal peak at fitness and everything I could eat two or three steaks a day and really could probably eat four if I, you know, was really working out hard. But even today, um, yeah, I eat multiple steaks a day. So, and mostly ribeyes, but I got, I got, I had some porterhouse that, and, and I actually buy them at wholesale. That's how much I eat them because I, I got a connection now with guys that sell them to the restaurants here and, and the hotels. So I buy them by the box full. And I eat a lot of steak. I mean, you know that I eat a ton of steak, but I literally don't feel good eating just I like I like chicken, I like fish, like I can eat all of that stuff. But I feel my best on red meat. And so one of the things I think is going to happen in the future is that you're going to find out what's best for you. There's going to be ways that they run tests. And it says, avoid these four foods, eat more of these 12 foods. And it's going to be stuff like that. So when I got my blood work done, I had some health stuff that come up, I got my blood work done. And I had a lot of little stuff here and there. But when it came to like cholesterol, when it came to all that stuff, like it was perfect. And that's eating mostly red meat the last 10 years. So I have friends that are carnivores where they don't eat anything but red meat. They don't eat anything else. And actually one of them feeds his kids steak and eggs for breakfast. And that's the one that has his daughter in the Olympic program for like one of the best gymnasts in the world. And most of the people that won gold in Tokyo, she's training with, and they eat steaks and eggs every morning. They don't even eat toast. They don't like, this is how they eat. And I think it's just whatever is how you're built. Like you may feel really good on chicken and fish and I eat it and I'm like, I don't feel good. And I really think it comes down to how you're built. And there's a lot of people that like, I know guys, I have a, a buddy of mine who's a professional athlete. He hates steak. He never even eats it, but he can eat chocolate chip pancakes and a bunch of eggs. So I feel like shit on that stuff. You know what I mean? So it's like, I just think everybody's different and 
that's the one thing I would tell guys is don't do stuff that people tell you is right. Go by how you feel, but you got to give it an honest effort. Don't be like, Oh, I feel like crap after a day, you know, eat a certain way for four to four to eight weeks and see how you feel. And if you don't feel good, don't eat that way, change some things up. But I, I think that's the most interesting part is how some people just eat a certain way because somebody told them to. Uh, and I actually dropped that about 10 years ago. And I was like, you know what? I don't like brown rice. I, and now they're finding out white rice is much more health healthy than brown rice because brown rice is tough to digest. So at the end of the day, you got to find out what works for you. And that's what I would tell everybody. And if you want to have the most energy, that's the biggest thing about food for me. Find the way of eating that gives you the most energy throughout the day. Good point. Because we need a lot of energy when we're out there getting taking care of those cars. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. Uh, 100%. Thanks so much, Nick. Good words and uh, enjoy your week, man. We'll talk to you. Right. Uh, talk to you next week, man. Have a great All day. All right, bro. Talk to you. Yeah. All right, guys, gals. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of community. If you got any value out of this episode, please right now go share it into any groups. Let people know it's been cool as as we've started to get tagged and people are starting to put out the information. Hey, what's the best podcast? Hey, Pines of Polish and Podcast puts out the most content, the most information that's most beneficial. Uh, other great podcasts out there, but if you believe you got some information out of us, hey, please go share it. Please leave a comment. Please leave a review. All that helps grow the community. This is Marshall. Make it a great day. Much for listening to that episode. And if you got any value out of it, Hey, go share it. Go let people know what you heard on the Pints of Polishing podcast. And listen, if you want to leave us a review, we would love that. You know, five star, one star. Hey, whatever you think we deserve, if you would leave us a review, greatly appreciate that. And thank you so much for being a part of community.